right? It's fine, right? It's a universal phrase. We've all heard it. We've all said it. We've all had it said to us. It's some, one of those things that, you know, when you ask someone like, hey, how, how's this going in your life? And you're like, it's fine. It's like kind of the universal saying of, I don't want to talk about it, but I do want to talk about it, but I just really don't want to talk about it. You know, it's that confusing lingo that we don't really know what to do when someone says that. It's fine. It's usually kind of when we're frustrated with something or, or we don't really want to talk about it. It's kind of difficult to talk about. So we put it off or we just hide behind a phrase like it's fine. Or maybe we're frustrated with something and we just, we're just not ready to deal with it yet. It's a situation you don't know how to deal with. And maybe, maybe when you say it sounds sort of like this. I'm fine. <laughs> really? Absolutely. I'm fine. why it's coming out all loud and squeaky because really I'm fine really I'm fine my wife sent that to me like two weeks ago and I was like we got to use that on Sunday but maybe that's how you respond where you're saying it's fine even to the point where your voice does that weird cracking sound that even you don't believe yourself when you say it right but everyone else doesn't believe it either they're just like okay we're, I get it we're not going to talk about it maybe it's something about your childhood Maybe it was the way you were raised and someone asked you kind of how your childhood was and, and you're not ready to talk about it. You just say, it, it was fine. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe it's about your first marriage. Maybe it's about, you know, a job that you recently left and people didn't really understand why you left it and you just, you're not ready to talk about it yet. So it's fine. Maybe someone just says, hey, how are you doing today? Like, how are you? You know, it's weird how when we say, hi, how are you to people, they immediately say good right? And then when they say, how are you back? Like, they're not really even expecting you to acknowledge that. Have you noticed that? It drives me nuts. When someone says, hey, how are you? And then they just keep walking. It's like, I want to answer that question. I'm just going to tell you I'm good, but I still want to answer it. Because maybe it's a situation in your life that you're just not ready to process, but you're kind of, you're over it. You're past that. You've, you've kind of like, you've dealt with it. It's back in your mind. Like you haven't quite flushed it out yet. You haven't really dealt with it yet. It's just there. It, it, it is what it is. It's another common phrase that we associate with it. And if we're all honest, we all have areas in our life where we have some unprocessed emotions, right? Like no one in this room would probably say that you have unprocessed emotions emotions, but it's really what joins all of us together, that we all have some areas in our lives, some feelings that we just, we don't quite know what to do with, but we're not ready to talk about them, or we don't want to talk about them. And through this series, our hope is that we're going to shed a little bit of light on the dangers of hiding behind and pretending behind phrases like, it's fine, it's fine, it is what it is. And this week, I, I was looking for some good illustrations. I was talking to Gretchen. I was like, you even know, like good arguments that we've had that kind of had you saying it's fine? And that's never a good question to ask your wife if you can share an argument that you've had in public. But we've never fought before, so we didn't really have any of those arguments to share. But this past week, it kind of worked out perfectly. On Monday night, Gretchen was sick. Um, she got sick in the night. It was uh, not good. And so she wasn't feeling great. And Tuesday morning rolls around. 
I kind of text my boss. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be a couple hours late. I'm going to help the wife get the kids on the bus and do the nice dad thing. And so uh, quickly, though, I, I woke up and I'm trying to like get kids motivated and, and they're not listening to me because I'm not mom. And so she gets up and she's doing the things and I'm trying to do those things for her. And, and she's just a mom, so she's just doing everything. And so I'm kind of starting to say, like, should I stay home for the day? She's like, no, it's fine. I've got it. It's fine. I'm like, but should I stay home today because you have Lennon? And she's like, no, it's fine. I'll take care of it. And we own a, a small like, coffee roasting business, and we had some deliveries that had to be made Tuesday down in Belfast. And so she's like, I'll probably be fine. I'll probably be fine driving down. To, so I'm like, all right, I finally understand. You've only told me three times. You're fine. So I changed the sheets. I kind of got the bed ready. And then I said, you're going to lay down. You're going to relax, watch TV, do what I do when I get the man flu. Just be out for the day and just don't talk to anybody. So you enjoy the day. And so if I would have listened to her and just said, hey, it's fine. She's fine. I'm just going to go. That she would have been home and Jude was sick. So he was home. And so sometimes you have to just break through what that looks like. And so last week, Jim talked about uh, what it would look like if we had hygiene, like emotional hygiene. And he defined the word hygiene for us, which I thought was interesting that he felt the need to describe hygiene to all of you beautiful people this morning. So, but it was this, that the practices that you keep or the practices that keep you healthy, that's what hygiene is. It's pretty simple, right? Like you get up, you take a shower, hopefully at some point in your day, you brush your teeth, maybe. How many people floss? like regularly floss? A couple? Really? Do you really floss? How many of you floss the day before you go to the dentist? There you go. You're my people. Okay, that's what I do. I floss once, maybe twice a year, and then I lie to my dentist's face when they say, so how's your flossing going? I say, it's great. They're like, then why are your gums bleeding? So anyways, but we all have hygiene and things that we practice during the week, right? Like you wear deodorant, hopefully. You buy like skin creams and makeup and, and all these other things. Or you bandage wounds when you get a wound because that's what you do to stay healthy and fight off infection. You, know, you get a, a, a flu shot maybe every year to try to stay healthy. In the same way that we have all these different like physical hygiene and things that we do for our body, there's also this emotional hygiene that we should have in play. But a lot of us, we just don't really think about that. We're not mindful of our psychological health and we don't adopt habits that maybe monitor and address the psychological or the emotional wounds that maybe we've had our whole lives since childhood or things that have come up in our life. So Jim introduced us to this question. He said, what would change in our lives if we spent as much time on our emotional hygiene as we did on our physical hygiene? What if you spend as much time working through like your psychological health as you do getting ready to go out with the boys or go out with the girls? What if you kind of spent some time and actually processed through your feelings and what it took to actually look at what's going on inside of my mind? What's going on in there? Emotional hygiene, it refers to the physical, the psychological health of our bodies. And what would it look like if we spent this much time looking into it? How is it that we spend so much time and so much money on our physical health, but it's so taboo to spend any time or any money and to get professional help or actually take the time to look at our emotional hygiene? 
And I would argue that the consequences of lacking emotional hygiene are actually much worse than lacking just dental hygiene on its own. Which would you rather lose, a few teeth out of your head or to lose your mind altogether if we don't take the time to address it? And studies have actually shown that if the unaddressed loneliness, unaddressed loneliness had just as profound an impact on our health as smoking does. Just think about that. Unaddressed loneliness has that big of an impact on our health. But we're too proud to talk about loneliness. Right? Like People don't talk about those types of things. Like That doesn't look good as a, as a caption on your Instagram, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm lonely today. It's not the manly thing to do. That's taboo to talk about. Like uh, For men, you know, that's weak. That's what sissies talk about, their feelings, right? Like we're men. We need to suck it up. We need to man up, right? And get over it. Like, just get over that, man. And, and that's for women to talk about. Women, they drink tea and they talk about feelings, right? Like, that's what women do. But what if the most manliest thing that you could do is acknowledge that you have feelings and that you have emotions, that maybe you have some unprocessed emotions? Maybe the most motherly or womanly or spousely thing that you could do is to communicate with your husband and say, I know that we've got this going on, that you have feelings and that you need to work through those things. What if we actually took the time to say, what am I feeling? What's going on in my, inside my head? What if I paid attention to these emotions? Where would that bring me? What would that do? And so Jim challenged us to be curious. Right? He said to look into those emotions, to, to actually formulate language around them, to identify how we're really feeling. Because until we can identify those feelings, we're going to be stuck. We're stuck in that. And our emotions, they enslave us until we find the language to actually let them out. Like if you can't acknowledge what that is that you're feeling, like if you go to a mall and you look for a certain store, you haven't been there before, you kind of see, okay, well, there's Foot Locker. And so how do I get there? You have to know where you are, right? That little star that says you are here before you can then figure out how to get there. So you have to find the language to actually let you get out of that situation. And so Jim provided us, he showed us this kind of wheel of, I want to say wheel of fortune, but it's not. It's a wheel of feelings. I don't know if we have that slide here. It looks awesome and pixelated. And, but, uh, and, and so instead of just having some simple terms like mad or, or sad or angry, we can look and, and actually have some different things on here that really can get to the bottom of how do you actually feel? Because if you've ever been stuck in life, it's not fun, is it? If you've ever been stuck in a marriage, it's not fun. If you've ever been stuck at a dead-end job that you hate and something's wrong and you're too scared or you're too nervous and you don't really know what is keeping you there, it's, it's a dark place. It's not fun to be in. And I came across this quote a couple weeks ago um, when I was doing some research or whatever, and I, I saw this quote, and it is about, uh, by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. It's a sweet last name. And uh, his book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a really good book. I'm like halfway through. It's that, he said this, that the sad reality is that most of us will never go forward until the pain of staying where we are is unbearable. Is unbearable. That could be in, in relationships. That could be in your job. That could be in friendships with people. That it's just, you don't know how to process through it. And I, I posted this on, on my Facebook as a status, and I got like tons of traction of people saying like, yes, 
I've been through that. Like people who have changed jobs recently who said, you know, that's the, the way that I have felt for so long, that they were just stuck because they didn't know how to move forward until things got so bad that they had no other option to do. And so our hope today as a church is that this series is going to help kind of bring some change into your life, to help bring some new habits, to help you be a better spouse, a better dad, a better mom, a better friend, a better coworker, a better employee or a better boss, or just a better leader in your group of friends maybe. And you know that 90%, okay, think about this, 90% of your ability to grow professionally is dependent upon your emotional health. Not your experience, not how much time you've had on the job, not how well-liked you are, although that's probably a part of emotional health, but, but your emotional health, your emotional stability has that much impact on your ability to actually move in, uh, to advance in your career. And the hard part is realizing that some of us, in order to grow, are going to need to change. It requires new habits, new routines. But most of us, we neglect uh, the positive habits or behaviors in our lives that will actually strengthen our emotional health for a lot of variety of different reasons. Maybe it's because you don't know what you're going to find. Like if you really start diving into your, your history, your thoughts, and the, the way that things make you feel, like you don't know what you're going to find. It could bring up a lot of deep hurts that you're just not ready to process through. And it's, you, there's some fear there. Or maybe it's just difficult. It's too complex. Like there's too many situations in your life to really figure out which one of those has really impacted you the most. It's just too hard, too much to understand. It's just too much effort. Like I don't have time to just sit and look at my feelings. Like maybe it's, it's just apathy, that you're just, it's just too much work. I'm not willing to do it. And maybe it's just easier to pretend. It's easier to just pass someone by and say, hey, I'm fine. Everything's good here. Don't worry about it. It's great. But let's, let's be clear. Not everyone who says I'm fine, you know, is lying to you. I don't want you to start going around and someone says I'm fine to be like, no, you're not. I can see through that. Brian preached on that Sunday. He said, you're not fine. Right, But last year, Jude, my son, he played football, and uh, it was his first time playing football, and he enjoyed it for the most part. Um, and so the last game of the season came, and it was like super cold out. It was freezing, and I remember just being all bumped up and being like, I'm so glad I'm not out there. And he did not play, I don't even know if he played like a single down that game. And so the, all season long, I was like, Jude, if you're not playing, like stay near the coach, you know, just kind of hang with him and just cheer your team on, be a good teammate, and you'll get in. Like, they'll put you in. If, they're, if you're in their line of sight, they'll put you in, okay? And so he would do that, and he'd get playing time and stuff, but he didn't play much that game, or at all, I don't think. And I kept sitting, I'd go down the ramp, I'd be like, Jude, get up there. Like, get close to the coach. Get up there. And he just kind of was like, it was almost like he was avoiding the coach the whole time. So at the end of the game, I'm like, Jude, why, why didn't you why didn't you like try to play? Like, why didn't you get up there and, and tell him, you know? And he's like, I didn't want to play. It's fine. It's fine. I was like, it's not fine. I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, it's fine. It's freezing out there. He's like, I would have like probably crumbled into little pieces. It was so cold. He's like, I didn't want to play. I was like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. Like, he was telling the truth. It was fine. He didn't want to play at all. But sometimes we do pretend when we say that, like that we do pretend that we say it's fine 
but it's really not. And it feels safer in the moment, though, doesn't it? They're like, you know you need to talk about that situation, but it's just, it's safer if you don't rock that boat. You know, like the, the marriage, it could go one way or another. We just, let's just pretend that it's okay. Because pretending it feels safer than honesty and vulnerability, doesn't it? It feels a little bit safer, but it leaves us with a pretend version of ourselves that ultimately is going to come unraveled. It's going to come undone at some point that that rock is going to get overturned and that will undermine the relationships that we have around us. Because if we just continually pretend and have to keep up this thought, this, this process, this you know, this lie to other people, eventually it's going to come out. And then what are we going to be left with? So today's message is really, it's all about this. It's about what do emotionally healthy people know? And, excuse me. And what do emotionally healthy people do? What are the things they know? And what are the things that they do? What are the habits that healthy people put into practice in their daily life? The things that they play, pay close attention to. The, the emotional hygiene that they put into their lives to help them out. And so we're going to look, believe it or not, into Jesus' life and something that he talked about. I know, crazy, right, at church. And so in John chapter 4, this is shortly after, or right after the whole story about Jesus and the, and the woman at the well, that whole um, story. And so Jesus is with his, his disciples, his closest followers, and then they say to him, they look at him, so it's been a long day, okay, it's been super hot, they walk everywhere, so they're probably tired. And it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. It's been a long day, Jesus. Like, you got to eat something. Put something in that belly of yours. Get some, get some nourishment in there. Like, you need some food to be able to continue to do all this stuff that you're doing. You got to pay attention to your physical health, Jesus. That's what they're saying to him, which is important. But Jesus is going to tell them there's something way more important than that. He says, it says, but he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. I've got a stash that you know nothing about. I've got things going on in my life that you know nothing about, things that are fulfilling, that sustain me, that you have no clue that I'm even taking, that I'm even partaking in. There's things I'm working on, stuff that you don't know. And the disciples, they kind of look at each other, and it's, it's really fun to look at some of these parts in Scripture where you can tell just kind of like how slow on the uptick these disciples were. And so they look at each other, and it's like, the disciples said, did, could someone have brought him food? Like, did someone bring him some pizza gourmet and I didn't know about it? Because if there were whoopie pies involved, I'm not going to be impressed because I love pizza gourmet whoopie pies. Just a little plug if you ever want to get me something. I do love their whoopie pies. But they're like, could someone have brought him some food? Like, did we miss something? And Jesus is like, yes, you did miss something. But it wasn't a pizza that walked by you. There's, there's, he's like, you guys couldn't be even further from the truth of what's going on here. They knew it, and he knew it. And so Jesus says, let me dumb this down for you guys, okay? My food, the thing that I find nourishment from, the, the thing that fulfills me, okay, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is like, you know, food is great. I eat it because it gets me through the day, but there's something in my life that has way more meaning than that. More important than food, Jesus says, is to have a clear connection with God, to have a clear connection with my Father in heaven, the one to do his will, to have a connection with him. And I thought the best way to kind of illustrate what, what does that connection look like, like what are we talking about, is to bring one of these with me. Who knows what this is? We, some people, yes. 
This is a Nintendo Entertainment System cartridge, a video game from the gray era of 1985 on the back. Okay, so this is Dr. Mario. This is he's a doctor. This actually helps with marriages. Me and Gretchen have solved some epic battles in life in this game. <laughs> it is wonderful. So the thing about Nintendo games is this: like you take this game, right? You slide it in, you push it down, you close the little flap, and you press what the power button, and then what happens? doesn't work, right? If you're lucky, the game pops up and you can play. But most of the time, it's blinking, it's fuzzy, it's, you know, it's not quite going. And then what do you do? You take the game out, right? You blow in it. Everyone in here, if, if you've played video games before, if you've played Nintendo, if you've been to a friend's house that has Nintendo, you know you blow in the game. It's just what you do. There's something about the magic of your breath that hits the little fibers on this little circuit board in there that just cleanses it enough, like not all the way, because you're going to have to do it again later, but enough <laughs> that you will have that connection to be able to play that video game, right? We all know this is the same with Super Nintendo. They still didn't solve it. But that's the same way as Jesus is saying, you need to have this connection, okay? You need a good, solid connection with your Father in heaven, that food is awesome. Trust me, I eat a lot of food. I love food. But there's something more to this life than just food. There's another level that you guys, like, you quite haven't found yet. There's more to this. And he's going to explain what that, what that is. And he says this, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Like, don't you guys procrastinate enough? He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. They're ripe for harvest. Aren't you guys like big into procrastinating? Like, isn't that a thing you guys do? Like, you've been saying, we have four months, Jesus, until the harvest. Like, we got all the time in the world. This was my entire college career. It's probably why I went for five years, right? That I majored in procrastination and I minored in youth ministry. That you get a syllabus at the beginning of your semester. It tells you everything that's due, when it's due, and then you know how much time you have to not do any work until the day before that's due, right? Like you procrastinate. I procrastinate all the time, okay? I had a wedding yesterday that I did. I created that wedding like after the rehearsal, what I was going to say. I showed up, but I knew the gist of what we were going to do, and they didn't even have the vows to me yet until like after the rehearsal. I was texting. I was like, hey, you guys got those vows for me yet? So, but I procrastinate all the time, and Jesus is like, this is like, a, don't you have a saying? Like you're known for this, this is something you guys do, but I'm telling you, the time is now to stop waiting. you got to put the hard work in now, and Jesus is going to start rolling out this whole idea of reaping and sowing, that you sow what you reap, or you reap what you sow. And you've probably heard that before, but that's a Jesus term. That's something that he came up with. And just like your physical hygiene, you know, like waiting to go to the gym is not really going to help you get physically fit, is it? Just wanting to be fit doesn't do anything. Every year, my family, we go to York Beach uh, in August, and every year, I'm sitting there in my little lawn chair, and I'm thinking, man, I really should have worked out for a while before I showed up at this beach. Every year, I think this, and I think I could be one of those guys running around, throwing footballs, looking all in shape, right? But I'm not, because as soon as I leave there, I think I should do this. I just think, well, I got like 365 more days until I go to the beach. I got time. But I never actually do it. And Jesus is like, don't wait. The harvest 
is, is ripe. It's, it's here. It's now. You've got to put that hard work in now. Because the emotional habits that you keep will determine what you reap. The emotional habits that you put in place now are going to determine the quality of your life later on, good or bad. He continues on. He says, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Okay, he's talking like spiritual things here. This is eternal life. He's saying like the, the person who reaps is not always the one who sows. But they can be glad together that the person who sowed, sowed good things that now the reaper gets to benefit from. Just as you and I are able to reap the, the benefits of salvation based off of what Jesus sowed into his life over 2,000 years ago. That we're all connected in this. I get to reap what someone else has sown. That when I was a young teenager, there were people that prayed for me, that they sowed into my life, and they did things and prayed for me all the time. And then I reaped those benefits of all those prayers when then I, my eyes were opened and I became a Christian at that time. And it's not because of work that I did. It's because of the work other people did. Other people sowed into my life, and then that sowing resulted in me then sowing into other people's lives, into my kids' lives. But the scary part is, is that you can wait and you can hold off and then you're sowing into other people's lives. What are you sowing into those around you? Because the problems that happen later, they're usually greater. And if you wait to solve those problems later, they're going to be bigger problems. If I need to lose 20 pounds a week before I go to the beach, it's not going to happen. But if I take six or 12 months to do that, the work is lighter. I'm going to start today because the people around me depend on me. The people that I love, the people that I lead, those that depend on me are affected by what I sow into my life today. He says, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I send you to reap what you've not worked for. Jesus sends the disciples to go do this work for him and to work alongside of him, knowing that he did all the hard work. The work had been done for them, but they're the ones that are reaping the benefits of it. Others have done the hard work, and you reap the benefits of their labor. He's saying the reapers of the harvest for eternal life, though you didn't do anything to work for it, you get to be involved in it. You get to, to work through that and see the benefits rolled out before you. That you will reap the emotional habits that you sow today. They will come back to pass. So here's what it is. that Others will reap the emotional habits that you sow. That's scary. It should be scary. You should be thinking that the habits that you put in place today could affect your children, could affect your children's children, that the emotional habits that maybe your parents did or didn't sow into their lives are affecting you. So here's the, the big idea today is that we're all connected in this, that we all have a part. We are all sowers. We're all reapers in this. The habits and emotional hygiene that you choose to put in place or neglect today will affect those around you. And the same is true for those around you, that they will reap and they will sow into their lives and it will affect you in your life. My hope is today that you'll decide to establish maybe some new habits, some new things in your life that will help realign you and to, and to focus on your emotional help, your emotional health. 
that you'll deal with stress in different ways because we all have habits, right? Like we all have those quirky little habits and when stressful situations come, you react a certain way or maybe you relax a certain way. Maybe it's playing Dr. Mario. Maybe it's just sitting on your back deck or going for a walk. You have habits. Maybe you avoid conflict altogether or maybe you lash out in really unhealthy ways. Maybe you react to awkward situations with humor like I do and it's just kind of, an, it makes things even more awkward. But we all have habits that we've sown into our lives and they impart our emotional health or they impact it. And you might not agree with this statement and, and I understand this and you might not agree with this, but the life that you live, the life that you have right now, you have because you chose to have the life within, that you have with a number of exceptions to that. Like I'm not naive, but for the most part, the quality of your life is dependent on habits that you've established in your life. And it's also a direct result of maybe some habits that the people that you've put around you have established in their lives. That the things that they've sown into their lives, that you reap from those. Benefits and negatives. So what should we do? What are these emotional habits that will help us to kind of move along, to help us become healthy people? What are some emotional, hygienic things that healthy people do? What are some things that we can put in place? And now there's millions of books, thousands of books that you could read on this with probably way more insight into this than I would have. But I, I thought we could share just a couple of things to even just get you started. And even if you just put one of these things into practice today, I think that you would start on a road to unearthing some things in your life that maybe have been holding you back. And maybe this will help you take that next step in your emotional hygiene. And the first one is this. It says, let your feelings in the car but do not let them drive. Don't deny them. Don't pretend that they're not there. Like, acknowledge them. It's fine is not fine. If you've ever ridden with someone, like in a car, or, or if you've ever ridden in an elevator with someone who just, like, doesn't acknowledge your presence, it's really awkward, right? Like, I, I remember when I first started a job at the hospital, this woman, she was training me, and we would ride the elevator to, like, the eighth floor and down, and she would not say a word. Not because she was mean or rude, she just was content with silence. And it was the most awkward moments of my life, riding in that elevator. So I'm saying, don't do that. Don't be that person. Acknowledge these feelings, like pull them in, allow them to be in the car with you, but don't let them drive. Don't let them take control. Don't make decisions for tomorrow based off of the emotions that you have today. It's basically what Jim talked about last week, is to be curious about your emotions Enough to know what those emotions are. Give language behind them. Let them in. But don't let them drive. And the second is this. Maintain an ongoing dialogue with healthy people. I should have highlighted the word healthy people. But to open up. Find people in your life that, that you can trust. That you can say what's really going on. Someone that will pry past it's fine. That won't allow you to just say it's fine. Someone who will be there with you. We're relational beings. We weren't meant to just fly solo and to live life alone. We are meant to do life with other people. And you can't trend upwards in your emotional health if you're doing this alone. If you're riding solo, you're not going to begin to take off and to unearth all this stuff. You need to be open with other healthy people. And the emphasis on that is healthy people. 
Okay? Don't look up your friend Tina who just sits there and sucks the positive air out of every room and you guys just start trashing, you know, and, and well, this is going on in my life and this is going on in my life. Like, that's not a healthy relationship. That's not the dialogue that we're talking. Find someone that you can trust. Maybe a small group where it's other people who are kind of striving for the same things that you are, that you can be open and honest with them and that they will push you and challenge you in new ways. Have an open dialogue. The third one is prioritize the feedback of others over your own assessment. This one's tough because it's no secret that you're all biased to all think that you're right. I'm biased to think that I'm right, that I think my way is the right way, right? Like when it comes to sandwiches, because those are what's important in life, I think a sandwich belongs in an intimate relationship with mayonnaise, okay? I think if you have meat on a sandwich, you need mayonnaise on that, okay? Thank you. It's the first amens I've had in a while. I like that, okay? Mayonnaise belongs on a sandwich. If you asked my wife where mayonnaise belongs, she would say it belongs in the trash, She does not even want it in our house. She will not make me a sandwich with it on it. She won't even acknowledge its existence. She thinks that like mustard belongs on a sandwich, which I don't even want to, don't even get me started there. Okay, not a mustard fan. Why not both? Come on. (laughs) But see, see, we all see condiments differently. We all see life differently. We all have different circumstances or experiences and things that shape how we view the world. And so we're different people, but sometimes someone might have different insight into your life than you do. They're actually seeing the way that you talk comes out of your mouth. I've been talking to my son about this. I'm like, dude, just the way that you say things sometimes comes across negative to your sister. And he's like, I didn't say anything mean. I'm like, well, you're right, you didn't. But the way that you delivered it it just comes across differently than maybe you expect. I came across this, uh, this question this week. It says, what would it be like to sit on the other side of me? That's scary. Maybe. What would it be like to have breakfast with you? What would it be like to have... <laughs> awesome. Right. What would it be like to have... If, if maybe I picked up the tab for myself, that'd be nice. What would it be like to have an argument with yourself? Like, how would yourself treat you? That could be scary. Like, how would yourself react to bad news, to good news? That might be frightening for some of us to actually think, maybe that person's right. And it's so much easier to think that everyone else is wrong and they don't know my life. They don't know what I've been going through. It's maybe easier just to pretend that they're wrong and I'm right than to actually dig deep and think, maybe they have a point. But healthy people, they choose to prioritize the feedback of others above their own assessment. And the last one you should always expect is to invite God into the process. Is that we believe that Jesus, we believe that uh, our relationship with him is the X factor that makes all of these things worth doing. That without Jesus and without a connection with God and without seeking his help in this process, these are just good ideas. They could work, they might not work, They're just good thoughts on this process. But Jesus is the X factor that makes all of this come together and to really take effect. Ultimately, until we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're doing this process on our own, and there's only so much that we can do on our own. 
But when we decide to actually follow Jesus and to invite him into the process with all of his love, with all of his mercy, with all of his grace to understand who we are, who we're going to be and where we've been, then we'll begin to actually sow truth into our lives and sow habits into our lives that we'll be able to reap the goodness from them. And that those in our lives, our, our children, our spouses, our coworkers, maybe employees under us, will begin to reap the benefits of that because of the hard work that we've put in. Because failing to establish healthy emotional habits will ultimately undermine the relationships that you care about most. If you don't take care of your body, if you don't take care of your mind, it's not just you that's affected by it. It's those that depend on you. It's those that you depend on. It's those that are closest to you that could pay the price or reap the benefits of the hard work that you put in today. So don't wait. Don't put it off. Start today. If you guys have questions about that, how we can partner with you in that, we would love to take the time and talk. Reach out to us on Facebook or emails or call. Uh, Jim gets weird telemarketer calls all day on the phone in there. So he would love to have a real person give him a call, I'm sure, in the church line. So, but that's, uh, that's the message for today. We hope you guys will be back next week for part three as we close this series out. But let me pray for you before we go. God, we love you. We thank you for just the opportunity to come and to share, to open I pray that this message won't be in vain, God, but that people will begin to unearth what's really going on deep inside, to seek the help that they might need, to not be scared to ask for help, but to have the boldness and the courage to seek that help when it's needed, God. pray that you help us all to be understanding of each other, to love one another, to hold each other accountable, to dig deep into each other's lives in a way that's helpful and fruitful, God. Just pray you bless Jim. As he's away this weekend, bring him back energized and ready for next week. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.